Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman. We've got a great guest on in this episode, Holly Rowe from ESPN. She's been on here before. We love talking to her, and we're going to get to her in just a little bit. But first, Bruce, uh, there's been quite a lot of news in college football since we talked to Paul Feinbaum on this episode last week. I think even before we published that episode... The Big Ten with the first big announcement that they were going to a conference-only schedule. Pac-12 followed with the same uh, decision the next day. And then on Monday, SEC ADs met in Birmingham. No firm decisions about anything there, but uh, Greg Sankey at least laid out a timeline where they are going to try to um, make some decisions about the season by the end of July. So, you know, you had a really interesting story go up on The Athletic on Wednesday where you talked to... 20 FBS coaches about basically the viability of playing in the spring. I mean, it's something that all the ADs and the commissioners keep saying, oh, it's just, it's a last resort. We don't want to do it if we don't have to. And you kind of want to be like, guys, I think we're right on the brink of the last resort. You might want to start taking this more seriously. So uh, tell us some of your takeaways from uh, coaches who uh, would have to, to deal with this directly if the season does get pushed uh, into next year. Right. So again, as it starts to take on a last resort tone, whether it's, do you try to shoehorn a, a smaller season or a condensed season in the winter slash spring for the academic year of 2021, or you don't play at all. And there's all sorts of issues. Many of them certainly financial ramifications to not having a season, so one of the things that you would hear a lot of people say, you'd see people on social media say, oh, well, all the players would sit out because they would try to get ready for the draft. I was like, I don't know if I buy that. I know I think there's some who would because there's the Trevor Lawrence's and Justin Fields who are seen as, you know, lock first round picks. But there aren't that many guys who are actually really seen as lock first round picks realistically or even lock top 50 picks. Uh, without having any film beyond 2019. So I said, let me ask a lot of these coaches themselves. And what was funny was early on, I talked to a Big 12 coach who said, you know, Lincoln Riley brought this up on one of our coaches' calls, and he made this really, really convincing argument that I hadn't thought of at the time, but I think it's doable now. Uh, So I ended up talking to Lincoln Riley about it, and he went through a lot of the reasons why he thought um, as you mentioned, I talked to now it's over 20 because I've heard I heard from another school uh, after the story went up. So it's actually 21 and more than half of them think they would have actually less than uh, less than two, two or fewer players opt out. Now, there were a handful that said they think they would lose a bunch. But for the most part, it was a relatively small number. And it was interesting to hear their their rationales on it. And one of the points that I came back to was, so so the numbers, if people haven't seen the story yet, uh, it's now 11 of the 21 we talked to had thought they would have two or few players opt out. Uh, there were four that thought three to five, six thought, uh, four thought six to eight, and then there were two uh, coaches who thought it'd be more than eight which is a significant number. But, and I talked to, to schools who were, some were top 15, top 20 programs who did not think they would have many who would leave. And they kind of went through their rosters and how they assessed it. So it was fascinating to hear that perspective on things. And one of the points that came up, and I had mentioned this to a few people, was if you looked at the LSU team that just won the national title, they had five first-round picks. None of them would have been a first-round pick had they not played in 2019. And two of them, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Patrick Queen, probably wouldn't even have gotten drafted if it wasn't for their breakout seasons of 2019. So there's that element. Then there was the other element of, well, you try to shoehorn a lot of games into one calendar year if you're going to play, even if it's a shortened season in the spring, and then go into playing a regular season in the fall. 
And a lot of the coaches said, you know what, we can balance that and cut back on some of the practices and try to maybe even have a delayed training camp and give them a little more time off. But also it's come up, you know, the AAF and some spring leagues have had players where it's like no one was saying, well, they're going to try to, if somebody impresses the NFL and then they go play basically a year-round season. There was a bunch of guys who did that in the AAF last year. And so I think, is it ideal? No, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that say you know what it's got to be considered and you and as one coach put it you wouldn't just shut down the idea because you think Clemson may lose their starting quarterback and Ohio State may lose because those guys are really the ex- the exception rather than the yeah rule. I don't buy that you know, there's been some notion that well if they can't play this fall they'll just cancel it all together I don't buy that there's way too much money on the line the, the effect of having no football season for an entire uh, academic year would be absolutely crippling. Crippling, um, and I also don't know that whether guys turn pro or not should be the deciding factor. To me, the um, the the issue of the toll on guys' bodies of playing two seasons, like you just said, like you just mentioned, is definitely legit. And and I don't even know if there's a way to. It's never been done, so I don't know if that there's a good way to assess like what the risk would be. Would are you putting guys at at risk of getting injured if they don't? have the usual recovery time that they do. Um, but uh, if the choice is between, uh, you know, if you if it means you, first of all, like Lincoln Riley said in your article, you could shorten the season, you could delay the start of the next season, you could, uh, you know, me personally, I've said before, I think that if you're going to do it, you, you might need to have a some sort of rule about the limits the number of games the players can play. Like, you know, let's say this the spring season is 10 games but each player on your roster is required to take at least two weeks off you know there's there's a lot of different things you can do but um i, I just don't buy that oh the, there's too many logistical hurdles so we can't do it i mean you're seeing the you know you're seeing uh conferences basically at this point in the in the pandemic like all all rules are up in the air everything all bets are off i mean byu and hawaii lost the entire first month of their schedules and they now have to try to create new matchups on a couple months notice. I just think that you just got to get out of your head. I think some of these ADs and commissioners are so used to doing things a certain way and you just got to get it out of your head and say, we got to do, we got to be creative. We got to make some, we may have to end up doing some things that we never would have imagined, but you know, it's, it's very important to a whole lot of people that there be a football season at some point this year. And I, I just don't buy that spring um, that you, that you just can't do it. Now, in terms of the thing you brought up about, uh, you know, the, the, the main point of your article about players turning pro, you know, I think I, I kind of feel like some of those coaches are being overly optimistic because we can sit here and say objectively, right, from a detached perspective, that there's only so many guys who would be guaranteed to go in the first round and that the overwhelming majority of players really need to put another season on tape. But they're going to have agents talking to them, trying to convince them to skip the season, to go ahead and turn pro, to start training uh, as soon as possible even if it's not necessarily in the best interest of their draft stock. And also I'm sure guys are going to be worried that they're going to get injured and it's going to cost them not just that college season, but their rookie season in the NFL. Well, I think they're going to have insurance policies towards that. I'm, I'm interested that piece of it, how much different that, uh, that formula is going to work out than it normally does. But yeah, I mean, one of the schools I talked to who was on the upper end uh, one of the coaches said he thought one of their players who's like that kid's a mid-round pick at best and this other kid might be a free agent or a late round pick because I think those kids would go they factored it in um, so I, I think it does vary for for from school to school but again I, I don't think the idea that people are going people have just jumped to the assumption that it's going to be yeah there's going to be 10 kids from every team those kids will if they did they're going to end up not you know they're going to end up not hearing their name called at all on draft day i don't know what the i don't know what college football would do at that point would they say hey as long as you didn't sign with an agent we're going to let you back in i i don't know that would create another another problem i suspect if you had so many because like i said there's just not that many of them who are, who would be seen especially in this time frame as guys now maybe if they thought you know what i'll be fine with being a fourth round pick maybe that's 
that's a little more palatable to them. But again, this is a, uh, you know, it was interesting to hear a lot of their comments. And, and uh, I just think, as you said, we're just in such uncharted waters with all this. I'll tell you this much. It would really, really help if the NFL, who generally doesn't get, let anybody tell them what to do, would, if it comes to this, would delay the draft. And there was a report, I want to say a couple weeks ago, that uh, I can't remember who reported. Somebody said that they that the colleges had, the, the commissioners had reached out to them about that possibility, and they'd said, no, we're not doing that. Now, it's easy to say that when it's all hypothetical. Um, I think that if this is what happens, if the college football season ends up getting played and, it, and just realistically on the calendar won't end until right around the time when they would normally have the draft, it would be in the NFL's best interest, in my opinion, to push it back so that players would have a chance. You know, Even if you do play your full college season, you will still have a chance to do a pro day, um, maybe do the combine. Maybe, I mean, probably not the combine, but you know, you'll still have a chance to work out for for the uh, pro teams um you can play your full season we'll have the pro days in may and we'll hold the draft in june something like that but you know again this requires people who are used to doing things a certain way and and maybe fairly entrenched in that that well there's no other way to do it to open themselves to the possibility of being a little more creative i do think one other thing that that i realized from from working on this story and talking to a lot of coaches is Lincoln Riley has taken quite a bit of a leadership role among coaches. Uh, we, we talk about what a brilliant offensive mind he is, and he's obviously still a young coach, but that's something that I, I noticed a lot. Uh, he is, he's impacted a lot of people with his thought process as well as maybe how he's approached things in the pandemic. And a handful of coaches I talked to definitely have been impressed by that and how he's how he, like I said, how he's become kind of a strong voice within coaching circles. And that's something that uh, I just wanted to kind of tag onto this that I hadn't really thought about, but now it's something after talking to coaches for this story, it, it came up a bit. I mean, I believe he's the only major coach that's gone on the You know, first he made waves when he suggested that they were trying to bring players back too soon. Um, he's the only one I, well, I, I don't want to, say that and turn out to be wrong but he did in in a column pete thamel wrote a little while back went on the record saying spring is doable um and then in your story there's a you know you start right out with the description of exactly the case he made i mean i thought it was fascinating that he 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 studied the weather to oh it's not that much colder in january february than it is in november in places and um like he, he he thought it all through so credit to him i i wish more coaches would be proactive <clears throat> rather than kind of sitting around waiting to see what, what happens and waiting for the, you know, conferences to tell them what they're going to do. Like be part of the solution, right? It's your, it's affecting you and the players more than anybody. Um, anyway, if you go on the athletic, when, after this comes out, I'm just really proud of all the coverage we have right now on this whole issue. Um, Andy Staples had a very interesting column um, about what it would take to still play in the fall uh, my mailbag is full of uh, this week is full of questions about conference only schedules and how that how it would affect the playoff. Um, Nicole Auerbach has been I mean, she she's been helping us break a lot of the news about um, what the conferences are doing. And I thought I had a really good column over the weekend. Chris Vanini with all the ramifications for group of five. And then, of course, um, so many of our team writers writing about the the you know what it's going to mean for the respective schools, uh, certainly, especially the ones who have lost opponents. Um, I mean, Notre Dame, it's, it's unbelievable. You never think of Notre Dame as somebody who would have to worry about being marginalized, but they just lost three, you know, high profile games they were going to play uh, against the Big Ten and Pac-12. So check out all that coverage. All right, Bruce, let's get to our guest. We're always thrilled to have her, ladies and gentlemen, Holly Rowe. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about Hawthorne guys smelling good is important and Hawthorne smells really good take it from me I love the products Hawthorne sent me the soap the body wash the shampoo the deodorant my wife has noted how great I smell now here's what you do you go on their site and you take a quiz and the questions about your preferences lead to customized recommendations about which products 
they think would be best for you. So you go on that site, you take the quick two-minute quiz, Hawthorne tells you which colognes or other products are best for you, get one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne CO and use promo code AUDIBLE to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use promo code AUDIBLE to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. All right, Stu, we're pleased to be joined by our guest, our friend of the podcast, the great Holly Rowe. Holly, as all our college football fans know, because I feel like we are a a tight community in this, uh, does a lot of other things beyond she's she's the hardest working person in sports media, uh, hands down. And so and a lot of people know Holly is a cancer survivor. And what I wanted to at least start with, Holly, and thank you for joining us today is for a lot of other people, college football is at least off in the distance a little bit still. For you, you do so many other sports, especially WNBA as a reporter. What's the status with you and how uh, how soon are you able to go do that and are you able to go do that? Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm having a fascinating psychological word during all this pandemic because I, I've been at a loss without sports. I just have to be honest with you guys. I've, I've realized, but I'm also embracing it. I have no life except for my family, my son, and covering sports and going to sports. Like, it's what I love. And so I've been like floating. I've just been like depressed, struggling. And then all of a sudden today, I got a call that I am possibly going to be able to go into the WMBA bubble. So um, I, I've got to report and start my quarantine, and then I've got to have a certain number of negative coronavirus tests before I can get there. But our first game on ESPN is the 25th, uh, July 25th, with Sabrina Ionescu against Brianna Stewart. So I'm hoping everything goes well and that my health is fine and I test negative. You know, like, just think about this. I'm sending doctor's notes to my work to be able to go back to work Um you know, to make sure that they realize I'm accepting this risk and all that kind of stuff. So it's really, it's fascinating. Holly, did you have any reservations? Was there any, you know, having to consider whether you felt safe actually going and doing this or was it always, as long as you get cleared, you're, you're going? Yeah, I, okay. So this is what's wrong with me is it, I've never worried about, do I feel safe? I guess I'm more worried about like, I just want to get back to work and go back to watching games and covering games. So again, there's my imbalance in my brain, but um, you know, I think we're all scared about the coronavirus because you just keep reading about all these severe reactions and severe cases, but I think I've already had it. Um, I I got very ill after the sugar bowl actually um, with Baylor and Georgia and tested negative for the flu at that time. But I, I'm pretty sure with all the symptoms that they've described and everything that I've already had it. So I was very sick and I was very fatigued for a long time. But so I guess I'm not as nervous because I've been through it, I think. Holly, how much, you know, you mentioned about just feeling kind of lost without college sports or without sports in general. And before we started this podcast, we talked about the last dance and some of the things that have kind of been either shared communal experiences or things that really I feel like we have really not had because you wake up wherever you live and you look at maybe you look at your phone or whatever and it's just an, it seems like it's an onslaught of depressing news and it's exhausting and and you're wondering uh, where we get back to quote normal and one of the football coaches I talked to said well there's a different big difference between back and back to normal so as you're processing this, and I think your your attitude towards it is very refreshing, and and quite honestly, it's inspiring to hear. Um, like, are there moments where you kind of go through this cycle, or is it is it parts of you, or it's just like do you tune out the news? How do you process this as somebody who it's not just you know because one of the things I know Stu and I and a lot of people get frustrated on is people like oh you're rooting for 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 no sports which couldn't be further from the truth because it's our livelihood and it's what we love but for you how do you, how have you processed a lot of this yeah it's fascinating i've done a lot of self reflection during this time to figure out you know like a- am i being ridiculous but you guys you know this you two more than anyone i could talk to you 
our life has revolved on the college football calendar for as long as I can remember. You know, whether it was going to games with my dad, whether it was going to games when I was a student, and then getting out and covering sports. And so my internal clock is set, you know, like I start having dreams about college football in July. Um, I've had the most bizarre dreams before, and I can be like, okay, my brain's telling me it's time to go back to work. Like our psyche is so wrapped around this. I, I hope people understand that. Like, I know you guys, you plan your lives around this, right? And, and so to have this uncertainty of not knowing the when, I think is driving us all a little bit crazy. And knowing the how is also really driving us all a little bit crazy. And then I've also done some deep reflection on, should we be playing college football? Like, shouldn't, should we just wait until we have a vaccine and things can be safer? And, you know, why are we pressing this? But I do think there's a great sense of all of us of like life has to go on to some extent and how that looks is what we've got to figure out because we, we just can't be stuck in our homes forever. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. I, um, I mean, you know, that's why I think, it, it, you know, Bruce goes through this as well too, but we get so angry when people on Twitter or whatever say you guys are rooting against college football. No, I cannot fathom a fall not working on the weekends, you know, I guess I would spend more time with my family and I should be happy about that. But um, you're right. Like my whole internal clock for 20 something years has revolved around football weekends in the fall. So, but I also have that same conflict that you're describing. I, as much as I really do want there to be a football season this fall, I'm not sure. I think I might be, I would be pretty uncomfortable with, with the, the whole notion of, of them playing unless we see a, a kind of miraculous downturn here in the next month or so. But um, it's, it's a, I don't know. I think it's a question that's probably not Paul Feinbaum was on our show here last week and he's the one that said um, everybody's asking, will there be a season? They should probably be asking, should there be a season? So I'm glad to hear you're, you're going, you're having much the same kind of internal debate. Yeah. It's weird though, because I've been still doing a radio show every day through this whole pandemic um, on Sirius XM. And so I've been talking to a lot of athletes you know, I've been talking to quarterbacks and running backs and kids who are returning back to school and they all want to play. So I, I really think it's important that the narrative isn't, well, these adults at universities want to make money off these kids and it's all financial um, and they're going to force these kids to come back and play. I think it's very, very important to understand these kids want to play. They are dying to play. Like they really you know, it, it's such a big part of their identity and what they've worked for in their life. And if you think about it, there's such a small percentage, you know, less than 10% of these kids are going to go on to the NFL. And so the majority of kids playing college football are doing it because they love it. And it gives them esteem. It gives them goals, motivation. You know, football gives kids so much. And I think sometimes we don't talk about that piece of it. Um, but I promise you every kid, I would say almost every kid I've ever talked to that played college football has had a positive experience and loved it. I, I really can maybe count on one hand, a kid that ever said, I wish I wouldn't have played. So, you know, I think that's important for people to know is these kids want to get back to playing. Yeah. One of the things that came up, I, I did a story that Stu and I are going to talk a little bit later on the podcast about just about. The, a, a potential spring season if it has to come to that and the, the the issues with that and one of the coaches I talked to who is a power five head coach made the point he said you know I don't think people talk about this part enough is the mental health component of this and if there is no season whether it's in the fall or delayed season or in the spring a lot of these kids really need the structure they get from college athletics. And this coach said, it's not just football players. He goes, it's all, it's a lot of college athletes. And he said, some of them don't come from the best backgrounds. Some of them didn't come from the best programs where it's the structure is the part that I think really helps them. And he goes, and I do worry about some of them when there is kind of an aimless thing where you're not, there's not a means to an end kind of component here. Um, when when I've thought about this and and look I I'm gonna I only do college football I do not do the year round all sports as you do, but from a college football standpoint, um, the and I got asked this by an AD actually in the in the Big Twelve recently he was like how would you feel about covering the sports what are you concerned about what are you not and I said really I'm not worried about being on a sideline I'm not worried about 
you know, you can kind of manage the distance you have. And, and you at some point, I think you said this, Holly, it's like, you know, you still have to live and and be smart about it. But also you still want to want to, um, you know, kind of go about as much normal as you can. The only thing I'd probably be most the part that I'd be most concerned about, I guess, is just flying from one place to the next because you're, you know, in a confined area and you're around, you know, whether it's it's two feet next to you or the person behind you or whatever, there's only so much you can control when it comes to that. But beyond the flight, I said, I think I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the other aspects of the job. For you, are there things you're more concerned about as it relates to going back to work specifically? Yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about much because I've I mean I have read extensively. I have to tell you guys the funniest story as it relates to this. So about six six weeks to maybe eight weeks, two months ago, I went to the store and nobody had on masks. And I was really mad because I I had read a ton of scientific papers that said they thought that this disease transmitted through these little micro air droplets. And so I was reading about New Zealand and Japan and these other countries that have gotten behind the mask idea. And if you just wear a mask, it really reduces the amount of transmission. So I posted like, if you're not wearing a mask, you're just selfish at this point. And guys, I I got so much backlash. We're talking about like 2000 comments and and I would go on and click people's bios and it was almost without exception, the people who were anti-mask were in the South. And I and they had gotten caught up in this idea that it was political and so they, they were going to not wear masks because they didn't want the government telling them what to do. So I ended up deleting the tweet because I was like, I just, I can't deal with this. I don't want to deal with all these crazy people. And then like three weeks later, Nick Saban is doing a mask promo with, with Big Al, the elephant. And I'm laughing. I'm like, okay, see, I was right all along. I was onto something all along. And, you know, I really believe if we can live and we could have a college football season, if we were just smarter, if humans could just get behind this and be like, if I don't want to pass this disease, I'm going to wear a mask. Other people wear a mask. And then we just don't pass the disease. How simple would that be? So it's, it's just kind of funny how this has all evolved, but I'm, I'm not scared to go back to work from that standpoint. I want to wear, I'll wear a mask. I'll do every safety precaution they tell me to do. I think my bigger concern is how we do our jobs. Like how are we going to have access? You know, so much of my job is in person and, you know, trying to get stories out of kids and trying to make that connection with them personally. So you can, you know, really delve into what makes them special. And, you know, some of that has to be done in person. It's hard to do over the phone or over Zoom calls. So um, it's going to be interesting when we do get back to work. It's going to be really interesting. But damn it, if people would have just listened to me months ago, guys, months and months ago. It's so frustrating. It really is. I, I'm picking up from what you just said, though. I'm curious to hear from both of you, both sideline reporters. You know, let's let's hope for the best here. Let's say there is college football back, you know, this this fall at some point, and you guys are going to be doing the games. Like, I'm sure you've had these conversations. What, to both of you, what do you think that, what, what will it look like, do you think? what? How will your job be um, different, and, and how do you think you'll have to overcome it? Yeah, Bruce, I don't know about you. You you can tell me, but I'm actually starting to think about it because I, I have a game on my schedule for the first time since I walked off the court at the Big 12 men's basketball tournament and they canceled that game. So I've been looking into masks that have the full plastic face shield with your eyes. I found a mask that has a clear plastic part where your mouth goes so you you know people could see you talking. Um, I, I haven't talked to my bosses at ESPN yet, but I'm imagining we would use some sort of a boom mic or a situation where we don't have to be standing as close to the players. So I think we're going to definitely have some spatial challenges and changes, but hey, I'm up for it. I just want to be there and be at the games. So I'm up for anything. How about you, Bruce? Yeah, you know, uh, Holly, Jen Hale, who uh, who works with me at Fox, but who did the, the basketball tournament that ESPN had on, you know, there was a boom mic there. And I think, and I'm not, I don't watch much NASCAR, but I, I've seen a boom mic there also. The, the thing that affects me, Stu, and I, I'm pretty sure it would be a, a, you know, a tough one for Holly as well, is the production meetings on the day before the game, as well as the on the field, whatever it is, two and a half hours before the game is where I get my best stuff. And sure, like, absolutely. so the production meetings, I think, and, and 
like you know, I have no say in this, but I'm guessing if you're um, whoever, you know, TCU or Texas or Ohio State, the Friday meeting where you come in maybe Thursday and you if your crew flies in from all over the country and then you go to the stadium, I'm guessing schools are gonna are gonna nix that because they're gonna be leery of five people. It's usually the three announcers and the producer and director um, coming into their football building, just coming off of planes and airports. I'm guessing they're going to be leery of that. And that would be, hey, we can, we can do it on Zoom. We're going to do it on Zoom to, you know, to tone, tamp down the risk. But then, so I, I thought about that. The part that like didn't sink into me, and I don't know, I'm curious what Holly's thoughts are, because we're, you know, we just talked about boom mics and things like that is, you know, you go walk onto the field and you talk to especially coaches and staff members. And it's like, wait a minute, now all that stuff, which I felt like was crucial for me to get stuff, even if it was stuff that I didn't say on the broadcast, but it was stuff I could give to Joe Davis or Brock Heward or whatever and feed them. Like now I'm not sure we're going to be able to have access to do that, right? So, I mean, we'll still be able to do our jobs. It's going to change, I think, a little bit, right, Holly? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard. Um because the, the the best part that we get, like I would agree with you, is some of the best information I get is right before the kickoff when the head coaches are out. Because there's like a 45-minute period where coaches come out and they're just kind of on the field and they're just kind of standing there and looking at their players and saying hello to everybody. And I, I am able to go up, like I can remember going up to Tom Herman and being like, hey, I need to update this question. Or we had a situation this year with Penn State, James Franklin and Penn State, is some of his players came out for warm-up in shirts that were, um, you know, a player had gotten a racist letter from a fan, and some of the players came out for warm-ups in these statement T-shirts. And, you know, Penn State staffers were quickly kind of confiscating them. And so right before kickoff, I have to go up to James Franklin and be like, hey, did you know about this? What's happening? You know, try to get the updated version. And so much of that is in person. So we'll adjust. I feel like we've all adjust pretty well during this era. You know, like we are Zoom calling out of our you-know-whats. And I feel like I'm being resilient with how I'm trying to still cover stories. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope we can get back to normal someday. I don't know if we will. But it, we are going to have to be better at our jobs and more creative than we ever have been. I truly believe that. You just gave me a really good segue with, with the with the Penn State okay. story you were just telling. So, you know, you're going to start back up WNBA here soon. And obviously, um, you know, that I think that league has been getting more attention than it usually does. But a lot of it has been about um, uh, Black Lives Matter and the owner of the Atlanta team. And, um, you know, I know that, that much like the NBA, the players are going to be using um, this opportunity to speak out and, and make statements. Um you know, something we have de- dealt with on the writing side, as college football has done, players have done a lot of the same things, is balancing uh, interest in, in coverage of those stories versus the actual, you know, on the field, straight up football, and in, in this case, straight up basketball. You know, how much do you think those stories will be part of your, you expect those, those kind of stories to be part of your coverage? I think they'll be a huge deal and for a couple of different reasons. So I was on a Zoom call yesterday with Brittany Griner from the Phoenix Mercury. And since the WNBA is kind of back and they're having media availability every day, you know, we're back asking basketball questions. You know, like I'm asking the LA Sparks coach, Derek Fisher, you know, what's, what's your guard rotation going to be? Or, and, and how do you anticipate this and that? And we're asking like real sports questions. And then Brittany Griner said yesterday, um, I'm challenging you all to not let this fall to the back burner and to not forget about this. And as she said that, I kind of thought, you know, I am going to be very intentional to ask basketball questions and then balance that with making sure I ask the athletes, you know, what issues do you care about? What issues do you want people to know you are representing so that I am being intentional to Um, give them the opportunity to tell that piece of it too. You know, like I just saw today, they're pressing the numbers and the jerseys for the WNBA and they are wearing Breonna Taylor under their Jersey numbers. And it's, it says their name. And then it says Breonna Taylor's name. And she's the young woman in Louisville who was murdered in her bed after a no knock warrant. And nobody's been charged. Nobody's um, been disciplined in that matter. And you know, it's, it's still so important. So like Kenny Stills, you guys remember Kenny Stills, the great wide receiver from Oklahoma that I loved covering when he was in college. He was arrested in Louisville last night um, protesting. 
And I just absolutely love it. This is a kid who knelt during the national anthem, has been very outspoken about issues that were on the Miami Dolphins at that time. But he's not just tweeting about it or saying it. You know, he is showing up and protesting. He spent the night in jail last night in Louisville, um, from what I've been told, protesting this young woman's murder. So I think it's important to do both. I think we're kind of exhausted with all the, you know, scariness of the pandemic. And so we're like, oh, we just want to get back to sports. I just want to know how Tom Brady's going to be in Tampa Bay. But I think we have to keep um, the heart of the athletes, give them that opportunity to express their heart. Do you feel like that's the same, uh, you know, approach you'll take, uh, you know, month or hopefully sooner than later that when we get, when we get back to college football as well, or is, um, you know, how do you, how do you balance those, those issues editorially in your own mind as a reporter? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always going to be a time and a place in the broadcast and it, and it's part of like, we don't want to inundate viewers because we all tune into sports to some extent to escape, I think. You know, I think that's one reason why we're missing sports so much is we have nothing, no escapism tools, right? Um, so I think it's important that we're not also beating viewers over the heads with that, but I, I want to be balanced with it. I just had a, a good conversation with Doris Burke last night. She's going back, getting ready to cover NBA games next week. And we just had an honest talk, like, how do you plan to do this? How do you see this unfolding? How do you think we should do it? And, you know, we kind of bounced ideas off of each other because it's going to be unique. It's going to be very unique. Well, Holly, you know, I, just before this uh, podcast, I was on a editor's call with the, some of the editors of the Athletic, and and they were going through all their coverage that's coming up about the restart of NBA and MLB and NHL, and and you know, it just made me realize, like, I think uh, we in college football are a little down in the dumps right now because we don't know if we're going to have a season, but sports is coming back very, very soon in the next couple weeks, and. Suddenly, we're going to go from from bored out of our minds to all, uh, hopefully, like every channel, every sports channel, every day with um, with sports and, and ways to escape. So, I guess I'm just saying I'm jealous of you. I'm excited for you that you're heading off today to go start covering sports. Bruce and I would would love that opportunity. I know. I, I'm really excited. And trust me, I have like totally tried to psychoanalyze myself. Like Holly Rowe, what is wrong with you with your psycho obsession with sports? But it just is, it makes me happy to watch people succeed and excel and be athletic and strong. And um, I, I just, I'm a huge WNBA person. Like I've been covering the league for two decades. I started out as a cable puller. Um, I pulled the cables. I was um, Robin Roberts, stage manager. Like I've worked my way up in the WNBA. And so I love it. And, and I'm just like, I just can't wait to get there and watch women play and be strong and amazing. And you know, all the things I admire so much. So I'm, I'm so excited. Well, Holly, we're thrilled you join us. We're glad you're getting to do what you love most. Um, we encourage people to follow you on social media at sports siren. Uh, it really is inspiring to hear your perspective on things. And I say this not just as like a friend and as, as, a fellow reporter, but just your approach in things like some of the things you said at the, at the top of the podcast, I thought were refreshing, honestly, for, for us to hear as well, not just for our audience. So we appreciate you sharing with us. Well, thanks for having me. And I just hope I run into you guys somewhere this fall and we are covering actual football um, in the best, safest way, sanest way possible. But uh, I know we all love it so much, and I hope we can all be together, you know, with our great passion soon. We hope so as well. Thanks so much, Holly. Thank you, guys. Take care. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about advertising with the Athletics Podcast Network. The Athletics podcast listeners, certainly our listeners at the Audible, huge college football fans all over the country, very engaged in this show and with the businesses they frequent. Certainly, you know, a great way to reach an audience, especially if you're a business that caters to college students, college fans uh, in a college town, uh, or certainly any sort of national business that. Um, has a strong connection to college football. So to advertise on this very show, just go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast 
ads. There's a very simple form, and we'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. All right, let's get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Bruce, people obviously very curious about the decisions that were made last week after last week's episode. So this first one's from Eric Collins. Hi, Stu and Bruce. With the elimination of non-conference schedules, does this provide the Pac-12 its first win of 2020? I've listened to you guys talk about how the disadvantage of playing an extra conference game hurts our playoff chances, assuming we do get a season can we start dreaming about an end to the Pac-12 playoff drought? Sure. If you, you know what? Look, USC won't play Alabama. USC, if the schedule were to set up the same way, which I guess it can because there's going to be some other non-conference games that were factored in there. But without that game, they would have been looking at a 7-0 and start potentially. Um, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. So you think it's to their advantage because they won't lose? Yeah. I mean, I would think so. I mean... Just looking at it from that standpoint, because then all of a sudden you have some more momentum. Again, I don't know how the schedule exactly is going to shape up in terms of that. And who knows if you're going to talk about some potential breaks or things that could happen in, in the schedule. But, you know, I still thought the two teams to me that had the the best chances. Look, uh, who are you going to pick in the Oregon-Ohio State game? Well, I was probably going to pick Ohio State, but I by no means thought that that's a done, you know, no chance kind of situation. Like, I don't think USC had a chance against Alabama, but I certainly gave Oregon a chance at home against Ohio state. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I think in that regard, the PAC 12 probably benefits, although I'm sure like, you know, the university of Washington was very disappointed. They didn't get a shot at Jim Harbaugh in Michigan and a chance to make a statement there in Jimmy Lake's first game as a head coach. But I think for the most part, probably the Pac-12 benefited from that. So I'm going to disagree with you. I think it. Uh, this was a bad break for the Pac-12 because they're already, um, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they can say all they want, the committee about, oh, we don't care which conference you're in or the, the name on your jerseys. I mean, brand plays a part in all of this. And so, you know, the Pac-12 already has kind of a bad reputation right now. And so the chance, the best chance they had to kind of dispel that notion was for Oregon to go out and beat an Ohio State or for some of these other schools to get big non-conference wins. Without it, you know, if, and I don't even know how many games we're talking about, it's a 10-game schedule, I guess. If the Pac-12 champ is 9-1 and one, uh, and, and only having played teams in their own conference that isn't that respected to begin with, and we'll say... Um, the Big 12 champ is 9-1, and one, and it's Oklahoma who's made the playoff all these years in a row. Like, don't you think the committee's just going to default to Oklahoma? If it comes to that. But look, you're still having teams that maybe have loaded conference schedules. Maybe they're, if you have teams with multiple losses or even if you had no undefeated teams, I mean, I don't know. The committee's job is, is, is already tough enough. It's going to get way tougher if it comes to this 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 season because what do you do if there's a team that you think is a top five team never mind their quarterback let's just say their best player tests positive and they lose that game do they just factor that game out like how does the committee they're i mean we talked about uncharted waters that's really it like i don't know how they they sort through some of that i think they would deal with it the way like the same way they deal with injuries like remember when clemson lost to syracuse and by the time they got to the end, they were the committee had basically just given them a pass because Kelly Bryant got hurt. It would probably be something like that, but it'll be a mess, especially if you're talking about, you know, now we're talking about. I just realized I said the Big Twelve playing, being nine and one. I mean, they haven't decided to go to conference only yet, but if they did, that's going to tap them out at nine games. Um, you know, you just know as you go through a season, right? It takes a long time for the for the the best of the best to separate themselves and. You know, the fewer games they play, the more muddled it's going to be at the end. But can we agree that we would take that over no football? I will take a maddening, infuriating, um, uh, inconclusive playoff field than than the alternative. Next question, Stu, from James Birdsong. Humor the possibility that we have a college football season for the following scenario. If the conference-only model is followed, as expected nationwide, it obviously would impact bowl games. 
to me, wouldn't the best compromise to a bowl season being to stage out-of-conference rivalry games into bowl season for non-playoff teams? The athletic departments could use the money. TV networks could use the content. Stu, you were Mr. Bowl Guy. What do you think of James's suggestion? All credit to James. I had not thought of that, but I think he's on to something. Um, USC, Notre Dame, great rivalry game that just got lost by the Pac-12's decision. Um, if they're not in the playoff, let's just match them up in the Alamo Bowl um, or, some, or some other uh, bowl. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of some other examples. I mean, there's been – we lost Iowa-Iowa State. We lost BYU-Utah, although they, those fans hated when they played in the Vegas Bowl a couple years ago. Um, now, again, kind of like we were talking early in the podcast, this would require people to think outside the box and do things they're not used to because as it is – each of these bowls is locked into certain conferences and there's very little flexibility and, you know, conferences are going to be reticent to, to opt, you know, try to move all the dominoes you have to move to make it happen. But come on, let, let's just do it. Um, I, I'd rather, wouldn't you rather see USC and Notre Dame renew their rivalry than, I don't know, uh, pick your random big 12 pack 12, Al- um, Alma bowl matchup or your, uh, USC, Iowa State or something. Yeah, like, or, you know, the Camping World Bowl. You know, like, does anybody really, truly, there's no, like, uh, 70, it's not like the Rose Bowl, right? It's not some 70-year tradition of these two conferences have played each other. How dare we interject a different one? Uh, I would hope that, uh, first of all, these bowl games are going to definitely need there to be a bowl season. Um, There's been some suggestions that if the season's delayed, that you just scrap the bowl games or most of the bowl games and, think a lot of them would go out of business if that happened and um also i mean the the bowl games need people in the stands and that's obviously not looking so good right now so that's all way of saying the bowl games are as in big a trouble as anybody uh by what's going on and you know if one of them got a chance to host a a extremely intriguing um game that, that was supposed to have been played this year rather than just whatever teams would normally fit into the formula I say they do it, and I say we honor James Birdsong at halftime for coming up with the idea. Can I ask you a question on this? How mm-hmm. would they sort out? A lot of those bowl partners would obviously love USC Notre Dame. How would they decide who's getting it? Is it the highest bidder? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> it would probably be whichever bowl. You'd have to do some trading, right? Like whichever bowl would, would have gotten USC anyway, and then, you know, but, but would have had to, you know, they I mean, have to be somebody pretty good, right? Like, oh, you know, we'll trade you. Uh, our, our, if we went by the normal rules, we were going to have, uh, you know, USC, Michigan. We'll trade you Michigan for Notre Dame, something like that. I think I've given you a good, pretty good story assignment right now that you should be working on for next week. People would read it. Um. Put on your sleuth hat and start calling your sources. Start digging. Uh, I mean, I, I could do that. I think that they will be like a lot of people and say, oh, we haven't gotten to that yet. Right now we're planning for Let me tell you something, usual. Stu. If you don't do it, Brett McMurphy's on it, so you better hustle. Well, you know, you're right about that. Uh, um, and, and just to be clear, like, is there a limit to this or do I need to start looking into the Bahamas Bowl and the New Mexico Bowl and all those? I want to know who's who or Toledo might end up too, so you know, like I said, put on your miner's hat and start getting to work. Okay. Fair enough. Um, last one, Mike in blowing rock, North Carolina, what would no fall football, no money games against power five schools mean for several group of fives? It seems like lots of these rely on these money games and with little to no gate revenue, it seems we could see several group of fives teeter on shutting down altogether. What can group of fives do to survive? Uh, Bruce, no question it's these are dire dire times for group of five you know the power five obviously i mean they're worried too but but the money's going to be there um group of five has money issues to begin with and now um you know they just lost their big payday games however i'm no lawyer i don't pretend to be a lawyer but as of now it's a different thing if the whole season gets canceled i don't i don't see how the the Pac-12 and Big Ten don't still owe them the money because I don't think I see how you can say uh, you know there's been a lot of talk about clauses and contracts and uh, we've written some stories about that and 
you know, they all have like acts of God and all these things written in there. But like, you can't use that as an excuse for why you had to cancel the Toledo game and then turn around and play nine more, but still play nine games. Like if it's, if it's safe or if conditions allow you to play Ohio state, then how can you turn around and say, sorry, um, Akron, we, nothing we could do a pandemic struck. So we don't owe you the 1.5 million anymore. Yeah, I don't know how it is like if you're Bowling Green because I think they're one. I thought I saw the figure was like two point two million. Buffalo was close to two million for a game that they were on the hook for. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Now, look, do they just if what happens if this if they don't actually have a season, being like those Big Ten teams, then are they still on the liable to pay for them? No, I think that's a different story. Um... But if that happens, if the worst happens, everybody's going to be in trouble. Power five, group of five, everybody. Uh, I don't know that a power five program would have to shut down, but they'd certainly have to cut a whole lot of teams to make up for the lost revenue. And, you know, the bigger, this is a little dense, but I think the one of the biggest issues facing group of five right now is that you know, most power five programs are totally self-sufficient. They're funded by um, ticket sales, TV money, et cetera. Group of five schools athletics is a losing proposition so the schools have to subsidize them from their you know university funds and universities right now are are facing you know we've already seen reports of universities that have already said they've already lost 70 million dollars 80 million dollars if if enrollment is way down this year they're going to lose you know into the hundred of million or more and so i don't think uh you know bowling green's gonna be able to afford to fund athletics next year if that's the case so um, I don't, I think that obviously everybody's focused right now on major college football and saving the season, but I mean, this is going to be a very bleak, uh, short term and possibly long term for group of five, whether they play the season or not. But, um, I, I do, I'll go to bat for them. I, I think they should get the money and I don't know, probably, probably a lot of these things will end up with, with lawyers getting the lawyers will be the big winners here. It's going to be a whole lot of billable hours to figure out who gets what in these contracts and probably ends up in some sort of settlements where the the, guarantee, the, the school that was going to get the guarantee money maybe doesn't get the full amount, but they get some amount um, once it's all settled. Wasn't this, I mean, I don't like that we're in this position by any means, but some of these questions are kind of fun to, to think about the, I, I like James Birdsong's question. I, I love thinking about like, Hey, we could use this as an excuse to jazz up the bowl lineup. Yeah, as always, you can send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. We appreciate Holly Rowe for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you guys next week. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Thank you.